We interrupt this program to bring you a special report. Hello and welcome to The Interruption, the Global Institute for Tomorrow podcast. Today we're sitting with Chandran in the Malaysian rainforest, about an hour outside of Kuala Lumpur. And today's podcast is on disaster risk reduction. Chandran recently moderated a high-level dialogue between government representatives about this topic at the UN Disaster Risk Reduction Conference in Geneva. So Chandran, why don't you tell us some of the highlights of this? Okay, well, um, the conference was in Geneva, and it was uh, a week-long conference with uh, about 3,000 delegates from all over the world, and mainly from the developing world. I was asked to moderate the session, which is uh, called a high, uh, um, a dialogue at a high-level high dialogue between government representatives, and there were representatives from six different countries, including Japan, um, the Caribbean representatives, and from uh, Africa as well. And uh, what was most interesting for me was how risk and disasters are viewed from a very different uh, perspective depending on the regions and of course economic status. So the Japanese approach to risk was very much around, as we all know in Japan, catastrophic uh, events caused essentially by earthquakes and the result of tsunamis if they're offshore, etc. Whereas for many of the people from, say, Africa, particularly uh, the Sub-Sahel and the Saharan areas, like Mauritania, etc., the, the biggest risks were climate-induced, uh, resource issues, as well as the migration of people. So that was, for me, the, uh, the big takeaway. And to look at the sharp differences between the economic status of these countries the political systems in which people operate, and of course the, the dedication, particularly in the smaller developing countries, of civil servants, so attuned to the needs of their countries. Okay, so are you saying that in developing countries, the risk of disasters is going to be higher? It's going to, it's going to have larger impacts because of the development of lack of resources? Yeah, I mean, um, for a rich country like Japan, where the Japan is represented by the minister, uh, responsible for disaster risk. Um, Japan has the resources to essentially uh, put in place uh, the systems that uh, are required by something called the Sendai Agreement, which is, uh, I think, uh, brought together in 2015, which required all countries to come up with plans on how they would uh, deal with this. The recognition and the driver for this is essentially to move from what was the traditional way of looking at risk, which was to look at being prepared, disaster risk preparedness. So if you had an earthquake, etc., what you do. But as much as the world has become much more aware after Fukushima and other things in Indonesia, etc., um, of uh, how catastrophic uh, natural events can be, it has also become very clear, and that was obviously something that I took away, how climate change and resource constraints and environmental issues are essentially the biggest threat. And for many countries, it is not being prepared as more of adaptation. So if you look at a country like Mauritania or Nigeria, which are all sub-Saharan uh, countries, um, the big issue is not an earthquake. It's essentially drought, migration of people, crop failures, etc. And they are, have meager resources. How did they get uh, organized? They are smaller populations dispersed through a very harsh terrain. How do you get organized and how are the resources? 
at the same time, uh, how does international assistance uh, become of value to, to, to these countries? For Japan, the approach is very much now about putting disaster risk reduction right at the center of economic planning. So it's written into economic planning um, approaches. In a developing country like um, Mauritania, uh, the economy is not a sophisticated um, economy. A lot of it is agrarian, etc. They have to have a very different way. And of course, a lot of people are what we consider you know, not middle class population. So they, it's really a different approach to agrarian lifestyles, managing uh, climate change, and essentially getting prepared to, uh, getting people prepared to large scale adaptation to changes in weather patterns, crops uh, growing, and of course, livestock as well, which is a very important part of people's economic lives. Okay, so you mentioned Mauritania there, and I think that you in fact had an interaction with, with someone from Mauritania, right? Well, the, the, uh, the mayor of the capital of Mauritania was there, and uh, you know, I've lived in Africa before, so uh, you know, meeting uh, um, people who serve in the government of Africa, African states and capitals, was not anything new. But I was most impressed um, by her statements. And also, you know, there is a stereotype that representatives of some of these small countries and these capitals of uh, these countries that most people don't know. So here's a trick question for the audience. What's the capital of Mauritania? Send me an email. Well, most people don't know these places. And even someone like me, I have to admit, went with a certain sort of, um, sort of almost bias or prejudice that uh, will this person really be articulate, engage the audience because I'm the moderator. And in the most simple uh, and stark way, I think she communicated the message of what disaster risk reduction means. It also gave me a clear idea that although these countries are fragile in terms of their exposure, uh, they don't have the institutions of developed economies, how on one hand they're so advanced at the community level. So it's very important for us to understand that these countries don't need the sort of assistance that sometimes rich countries think they need, which is to build large institutions, etc. They, they have a different way of organizing themselves. And uh, to your question, the, the mayor, I thought, was the most articulate in the she was, uh, I mean, Mauritania is predominantly a Muslim country, so it was Ramadan and uh, we greeted each other and she was dressed in a traditional uh, North uh, Northern African Muslim uh, attire, beautiful uh, blue outfit. But she spoke most eloquently about what we needed. And that was, again, you know, juxtaposition where we had um, the also very capable minister from Japan, but talking from very different points of view. But the keynote to our, the session I ran was, uh, uh, was addressed by the, the minister from Indonesia on disaster preparedness, who also spoke very eloquently. But in Indonesia, the, uh, the, same, the threat is similar to Japan. Earthquakes, tsunamis, are hugely different economies, and one with uh, uh, over 10,000 islands. Um, and, and so I think it left me with the impression that um, although we see these countries sometimes um, 
to the lens of media, etc., as being weak, fragile, or even not competent, I was reassured to meet people like the mayor from the capital of Mauritania, who was so capable and articulate, and most importantly, so committed to helping uh, a country which most of us know very little about. So, but by the way, again, for listeners, some of the best music comes from that part of Africa, from Mali, Mauritania, and Niger. So I promise to go there. <laughs> so this narrative between mitigation and adaptation is something that, that you've mentioned a couple times here. This seems to be like a very different approach to disaster risk reduction. So what is then the role of the state in navigating the challenges of moving potentially from mitigation to adaptation given climate change? Yeah, so the, the, that's a good point. So we moved from, you know, 15 years ago, you know, uh, much of it was a response, quick response, earthquake, how do you respond, etc. Um, uh, monster typhoon, how do you respond? So that was building an infrastructure, there's a lot of infrastructure needs, etc., warning systems, etc., and that's very important. But if you take a country like Japan, the warning systems are highly advanced. So Japan has moved from warning systems now to integrating uh, the cost of essentially risk reduction into economic systems. So you don't build certain things in certain areas, you don't populate in certain areas uh, which are prone to disaster with populations, etc. Is a much more sophisticated. Indonesia is at the same time has some same source of risks as, as um, uh, Japan, which is usually uh, offshore earthquakes, tsunamis, etc. But it's a different country, it's a much poorer country, etc. So, and then there's Mauritania, which is more dealing with existential threat of climate change, resource constraints, etc. And in all of them, the first thing that uh, you know came across was. Communities are important, of course. Disasters don't happen at the national level. They happen localized and there's a community. The community has to be able to respond. In fact, I should mention that one of the panelists was uh, the mayor of a small town in Switzerland. And initially, my reaction was, what disasters in Switzerland, you know? And that's so uh, presumptuous because as climate change, and she spoke about it, affects um, the Alps, uh, they are getting incredible amounts of landslides, etc. And her small town was affected by a landslide, I, I can't remember, a few years ago, and several people died. And that was climate in a rich country because of the change of climate, rain, landslides. So the community has to be organized. But in the absence of essentially the organizing ability of a functioning state, the communities are left to their own. So even in a rich country like Switzerland, the community was very good, she said, they responded to the disaster. But now, to prepare themselves for what they see through the analysis, as a greater frequency of events because of climate change, etc., and rain patterns changing, they need advanced systems, warning systems. And that can only come through the ability of the state to fund it. So in Japan, it's the state. In Indonesia, it is essentially the Jokowi government doing a lot more, but with more constraint. So my point was also, you know, that uh, I learned from this was communities are fundamental because events happen at, the, at, the, at, at locations, catastrophic events. But existential threats are spread through the economy and they affect in very different ways. And you need the ability of the state to first 
be able to create an awareness of the existential threat, then be able to organize communities and fund, particularly in poorer nations. So the, that, for me, was, um, again, uh, reassuring, given the book that I've written, that without the state, you can have all the local organizations, which is the first, the front line, but without the ability of the state to essentially foresee, fund, organize, um, success is essentially um, limited at the best. Sure. So was this a view that was given a consensus when you were in Geneva? And how do you think they'll try and take this forward? Yeah, I mean, as the moderator, obviously, I had the opportunity to try and summarize that. And so I summarized it as essentially uh, three things. One, the great difference between rich and poor countries. Rich countries are exposed, poor countries are. Poor countries are exposed to essentially both the existential threats of climate change, environmental resource destruction, etc., food supply chains, etc. Rich countries are affected by the same, but in economic terms, better able to, to cope. One thing was very clear was no country, in terms of meeting some of the obligations of the Sendai Agreement, which is to constitute local level uh, institutional arrangements, no country had uh, met them as early as, as, as I understood it as Japan. So in Japan, the ability of the community and a culture, which essentially takes this thing seriously and affects them, uh, was, was huge. But in other countries, it's very different. So there's one was rich and poor countries. Second, the difference between catastrophic events and lingering uh, threats imposed to societies because of climate change. And the very important role of the state, working together with local communities. And lastly, I mentioned that become very important to me was leadership. That without proper leadership at the national level and then at the local level, you get a complete breakdown. So in Indonesia, which is not a rich country, but probably uh, uh, with Japan, probably the most exposed to these sorts of events, both earthquakes, volcanoes, etc. The leadership of um, President Jokowi, I mean, I think stands out as someone who's taking that. And I think in the large Asian countries, if you don't have that leadership, then things really break down. And I should mention that just the week before that, there was the super storm that hit the east coast of India, uh, uh, mainly uh, Orissa, etc. And the death toll was surprisingly low, thankfully, but because the Indian government is now getting a lot more organized and working on, and that uh, storm, just to give people an indication of what kind of storms we're witnessing today, affected 100 million people. That doesn't mean 100 million people's homes were destroyed, but it affected, they were in the path of a mega storm. 100 million people, it's a lot of people to be affected, and I think the deaths were less than 100. Mm -hmm. So that is major response, and it can only be done through local organization and through the ability of the state. So it's good news that even in a country that, like India, which is so large, so difficult to organize, um, that the Indian government had managed to do that, and I think that's a lesson for all countries because, you know, Orissa particularly is a very poor state, one of the poorest in India, a lot of tribal communities, um, but it does take leadership um, to organize and minimize the, the debts and the economic impacts. 
Great. Well, Chandran, on a podcast about disaster risk reduction, I think it's good that we can end on some good news. So thank you. I'm afraid that's all we have time for today. Now, if you have any questions at all, just search for The Interruption by Chandran and I to find our Facebook page and pop us a question in the comments. And if you're interested about GIFT at all, you can find us at www.global-inst.com. Thank you. We return you now to your regularly scheduled program.